good evening uh, to Lincoln Square's worship. Uh, we're virtual this evening, uh, but it's good to have all of you here and those who will be able to hear the recording as well. Um, a few announcements. Uh, in light of uh, the changes in our city and in our state, uh, we're going to have to completely go virtual. And so next Sunday, uh, we will be beginning uh, Zoom services. Uh, it will be Sundays at 1015. Uh, the links to those services will be sent out. Um, another announcement, uh, it's not too late to give uh, to the Thanksgiving basket donation. Uh, our church serves uh, Waters Elementary uh, and some families that are in need uh, this Thanksgiving. Uh, usually we put the baskets together physically, but this year we're going to give uh, gift cards. Um, so I believe we have most of the baskets filled, but if you would love to um, give to that effort, you can go online uh, to the, our giving section and scroll down to the Thanksgiving baskets or, or mail uh, in your check uh, to the church office. We have an announcement from our dear friend Roger Engelman about his uh, organization, Bright Community Services. I'm going to invite Roger up now. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, Eric. So yes, um, my name is Roger. Um, I'm a member here at Lincoln Square. Um, this is actually my first day at uh, Church of the Nazarene campus. Um, so unfortunately, I'm a week late. I've been doing YouTube church this year. But um, I want to um, let you know about, uh, there's a small nonprofit called Bright Community Services, and we provide employment services in the Inglewood and West Inglewood neighborhoods of Chicago. So I first want to thank you and Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church for supporting uh, Bright Community Services. It's very, very much appreciated. So Englewood and West Englewood are two of Chicago's official community areas, and together they're called um, Greater Englewood. They're between about 55th Street and 75th Street, mostly west of the Dan Ryan Expressway. So together, Greater Englewood is about six square miles. That's a huge area of the city. So for a north side perspective, picture something from like Division up to Diversity and Halstead over to Kedzie. And think of how many neighborhoods that encompasses. So it's, it's an enormous area. Um, so it's, but it's an amazing area with incredible residents and leaders from within the neighborhood doing awesome things regarding neighborhood and development and services. It's one of the most collaborative places I've ever seen. And it's just, it's an amazing place to work. Um, and um, so it's a place where people and organizations work together on a lot of projects. So Bright Community Services Employment Services Program consists of two main parts. We provide individual employment services for people. And we also um, co-host large job fairs and employment resource fairs um, with other organizations. So our focus is in Englewood, but we also serve people outside of Englewood. And other than that geographic focus, we don't really have any demographic restrictions. We serve young to old. We serve um, people with ranging from high school education all the way up to master's degrees. Um, a lot of our clients don't have jobs, but some of them have jobs and might be either looking to switch jobs or switch careers. And one of our kind of main philosophies is we don't believe that someone should have to have their life fall apart so much that they finally demographically fit somewhere where we can serve them. We, we meet people where they are, and by helping people become more economically prosperous, hopefully the neighborhood can become more economically prosperous. Um, so for our individual services, when we meet a client, we like to ask where they want to be in two weeks, where do they want to be in six months, and where do they want to be in 20 years. And frankly, I'm not even sure how I would answer that question, but it basically ends up coming with um, kind of like a short-term job need and a kind of a long-term career goal. Um, and we, we like to be able to help people with both. 
So the services we provide include readiness training, resume assistance, job search assistance, some direct job placement assistance, um, depending on what people are looking for, um, links to vocational training, vocational mentoring, some light case management, and also help with logistical issues like transportation, bus cards, IDs, those sorts of things. Um, we also collaborate with other organizations to co-host large Englewood Job Fair and Employment Resource Fair events. At these events, we have employers, but we also have employment resource organizations ranging from training and placement up to college and entrepreneurship. So the theory there is here are some employers looking to hire, but here are some also some ways you can be making some good money down the line too. So prior to this year, we had three large fairs in park field houses um, around Greater Englewood. This year, because of the current situation, um, we've had virtual online fairs by Zoom, uh, one in May, one in June, and one in October. Um, it's been a growth experience, um, but we're getting kind of the hang of it. Um, at the October fair, we had more than 15 employers and about 10 employment resource organizations, again, kind of ranging from training placement organizations to colleges to entrepreneurship. And in October, we probably had about 140 or more participants, some probably from within Chicago and some from outside Chicago. Um, and we're very much hoping to get back to physical job fairs soon, but obviously that'll depend on things. And if we need to do more virtual fairs, we can do that. Um, as I mentioned, um, Englewood's very collaborative. There's something called the Englewood Quality of Life Plan that has five different task forces. And I um, am a member of one of the task forces called Jobs Economic Development Task Force. We haven't met since February, but we have um, sort of three subcommittees. One's kind of focused on workforce development, one's on business and entrepreneurship, and the other one is arts and culture. And it's just an amazing group of people, both residents, organizations, and others kind of working together on projects. So thank you again for your support. Uh, when things get back to normal, um, I would love to meet you in downtown Englewood, down by 63rd and Halstead, either Starbucks, Whole Foods, there's an amazing place called Kusanya Cafe. Um, and you can really just um, see all the great things happening down there. So thank you again, and have a great day. Thank you, Roger. Appreciate that announcement. And if you have any more questions about Bright Community Services, please reach out to Roger. Let's take a moment before we begin our worship uh, with a time of quiet to settle our minds and our hearts. Good evening. Our uh, call to worship tonight is from Psalm 126. We're following the form that we've been using while we've been meeting in person where we have singing and then a part for the leader and then a responsive reading. But since you're at home, uh, I encourage you to please sing with us then. restores the fortunes of Zion. We are like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue with the shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things among them. The Lord has done great things for us. He has made us glad. 
restore our fortunes, O Lord. Make streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The Lord has done great things for us. He has made us glad. Would you join me in prayer? Almighty and everlasting God, God of all comfort and mercy, you have done great things for us and continue to work on our behalf even when it does not feel that way. You demonstrate your goodness for us in your son, Jesus Christ. Our King Jesus mends our broken hearts, frees our captive souls, surrounds us with your goodness, and clothes us in his righteousness. As we worship you even now, draw near to us by your spirit and remind us of your promises. We confess that this is very easy to be distracted and forget your mighty work and power in our lives. We acknowledge that so easily we lose sight of your light and truth as we feel the pressure and concerns of our daily lives. Lord, in particular, we acknowledge that we are feeling this even more now as the virus continues to bring more sickness and death than we have seen into our lives, into our communities, even for some of us within our own families. God, we plead that you will bring relief from the effects of this virus. We ask that you work mightily to heal the sick and those touched by this. Comfort us as many of us have experienced more directly the effects of this within our lives. Lord God, we also recognize that for many of us, we're feeling our lives coming in, contracting down, feeling confined and restricted. Lord God, we find ourselves anxious, tired, and weary. We pray that you would meet us in these places and remind us that your power, glory, and goodness cannot be contained, cannot be constrained. Meet us in our marriages, our relationships, our families. Give us patience and kindness towards each other. Gracious God, we also are reminded that the holiday season is upon us. For many of us, we are not able to travel to see our family, our friends, our loved ones. These holidays often bring sadness and sorrows already, but Lord, we even feel it more and more. Lord, gracious God, draw near to us. Meet us in those places of grief and remind us of your love. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue to worship, as God draws near to us and we draw near to him, oftentimes we encounter our shortcomings, our failures, places in our lives where we feel deep burdens. So let us take a time to confess our sins together both publicly and then do take a moment of quiet privately. Almighty, holy and merciful God, you have promised us peace and rest in Christ, but we often experience doubt, exhaustion, and fear. 
Help us now to acknowledge our sin to you and help us to trust that you hear us, forgive us, and love us. When I keep silent, my bones wasted away. Your hand was heavy upon me day and night. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you forgave me all my iniquity. Take a moment to go to God in prayer. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that when times get tough, when we feel overwhelmed, often we run away from you rather than towards you. God, meet us and forgive us. We thank you for the blood of Christ that has washed our sins away. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. Amen. We'll hear these words of assurance that come from Psalm 118. Out of my distress, I called to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, and I will not fear. Amen. The New Testament lesson is Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we, we wait for it patiently. The gospel lesson is Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. He 
went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The word of the Lord. Good evening. Good evening to you on the live stream and to those of you who are joining as you are able. Um, I have to say it's, it's being here in this church space, being here and not seeing uh, your faces, not being here uh, as a whole family. It's a painful reminder of the times that we're living in. But as we continue our series in the, uh, the prophet of Isaiah, uh, what, I want God, what I think God wants us to hear this evening is that Isaiah has a very good word for people like us. One of the things that makes our God like no other God, one of the things that, that is central to who he is, that is central to his being, is that he comes to his barren and desolate and distant people to save them and to deliver them. And he does it in ways that we can never expect. And I think that unexpectedness, that suddenness of God's deliverance, it fuels something that we desperately need, that you and I desperately need in whatever darkness we are living. And that is hope. <laughs> so let's turn together to Isaiah once again, to Isaiah chapter 61, and I'll read verses 1 through 11. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be called the priest of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there will be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have an everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Well, this is God's God word. It's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you now as best as we are able with open hands, open ears, open hearts. We ask that you would meet us uh, in all the places that we are. Meet us there and show us your son who is seated at your right hand praying for us all right now. Show us his grace, Father, and change us by it. Amen. Well, so in order to understand these words from, the text, from our text, it's good for us to remember the world to which it is being spoken. God's people had come home, but they had, they, but what did they find when they got there? They found their cities and towns in shambles. Their national treasures, treasures had been looted and destroyed. They came home to lots of rubble and lots of ruin. The crown jewel of their common life together had been completely razed to the ground, that the temple had been destroyed. Yeah, they had come back to their land, but it was a land that was no longer theirs. It was a branch of a branch of the Persian Empire. Now they, they didn't even have their own king, and the king that they did have, therefore, this foreign king, his deepest concern for them, his deepest concern for, was that they pay the tribute money on time. They were home but they felt like strangers in their home. Other people were, were farming the land that was once theirs, walking on the streets that were once their streets. They were home, 
but they were painfully aware that they were fewer in number than when they had left. So they are homes, but they are not whole. They were broken, fallen people living in a world that was not yet as it should be. And, and now all that they are doing is, is waiting. Welcome to real life, right? As you and I live it every day, waiting for the vaccine to come out. Waiting to return to school, to see friends, to actually receive instruction in flesh and blood without a mask. Waiting for my financial stability, my financial future to return. Waiting for the walls in my house not to feel like they're closing in on me for healthier rhythms and connections. Waiting for leaders who want to build up and to not tear apart, who want to heal and not to destroy. Waiting for those old habits, those ones that move me away from people and from God, that deaden my soul. I'm waiting for those to change. I'm waiting for the flourishing, the dignity, the well-being of my neighbor to matter especially those who are different than me. And it's into this moment. It's into this shared common experience. It is this way of being that God's agent, God's servant, he proclaims his mission to, into this world to deliver his people. And he says those beautiful words, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I mean, what an answer <laughs> to a desolate and barren people. What a sturdy and powerful word to a shaky and fragile people. And God is saying to his people, I don't just see you. I'm not just looking at you from a distance. I am coming. I'm coming forcibly and catechismically to my waiting people to rescue them, to save them. And if there is one thing I want us to hear this evening, one thing, it is that it is this unmistakable proclamation of hope. I mean, God's agent, his servant, is saying to his people what he is saying to you and to me when I come, it will unshackle the reign of sin. The tyranny of evil and death will have no dominion in this world. It means that all the sadness and all of that grief, all of the emptiness, it will be raised up to repair, to grow and flourish anew in the world. God is saying those who have been enemies, strangers to God, they will be brought into God's family and God's people will be ministers. Loving those outside of faith, outside of goodness and wholeness so that they may find true life in him. And God is saying there will be real justice and rightness in this world. This is the unmistakable proclamation of hope. And the question for you and for me is where does this, this hope meet us? I don't know about you, but sometimes proclamations like this, they meet my skepticism. They meet my cynicism at the door. <laughs> if I'm honest, sometimes my capacity to hope is tired. It's infected. 
it means something that can't be found in my religious piety or with self-help strategies or in front of a screen. I mean, we live in a world where proclamations are made all of the time. And politicians, they promote change and a better life all of the time. Advertisements, they draw us in, arousing the heart to something exciting, something that will give us status or fulfillment or fun and, and on and on and on. And so when God's servants, when his good news meets our ears, I know I can react with pause, with doubt, with skepticism. And having been set up by a world that cares very little about whether the thing that is actually being offered can actually make us whole. It is a cruel reality that preys upon our deepest longings, our deep desires to be whole, to be loved, to be home. But if there's any bit of curiosity left in us, if our hope hasn't been defeated by the onslaught of empty promises from fraudulent voices, Maybe, just maybe, we can pray and ask, who is this person? Who is this person that Isaiah keeps talking about? Who is making such bold proclamations? <laughs> well, hundreds of years later, the gospel writer Luke, he draws us into a little-known backwater town in the northern part of Israel. And on Sabbath day in the synagogue, Luke tells us that a man, Jesus, he stood up and began reading from the scroll that was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he read from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord. When he would finished, he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat back down. And he says to them, the day of the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop. Jesus has the audacity to claim that this ancient prophecy is a prophecy that was ultimately about him. The people in that place know what he's claiming, right? I mean, I mean, he is saying that God's agent, that God's servant, the anointed one, that, sh the one that shows up over and over again in Isaiah that we've heard about, the one who will bring rescue and redemption, who will make Israel a light to the nations, Jesus is saying that this person is me. And everyone lived happily ever after. <laughs> I wish that was the end, but that's, it's not the end of their story. Everyone's hopes and longings to move out of their desolation, to move away from centuries after centuries of being enslaved to the forces around them, to the forces of sin and death in them. All of the freedom, no more sorrow, no more hatred and injustice, joy and gratitude and love will flow like the newness of a raging spring. But after Jesus makes this pronouncement, what we find in the story is, if we are honest, something familiar and heartbreaking. People were astonished and they marveled at the sheer grace that are coming out of him, but they wanted little to do with who he really is. 
what he came to do for them. The good news was such a threat to them. It was such a threat to them that they took him to a cliff and were moments away from plunging him to his death. And and friends, before we put our distance between the crowd that day and our own response to Jesus, God wants us to hear, he wants us to know that Jesus is always going to be a threat to those of us who lose our hope. Many of the people in Jesus' time, they learned to survive exile. They learned to survive captivity. They, they hold the memory of hundreds of years of foreign oppression, of rule over them, the, the ever-present reminder of the consequence of turning away from their God, of the way that unrepentant sin polluted their common life. It stained their worship and mission in the world. And the deal that they made and were still making when Jesus shows up is that they would create a system of being in the world that would make sure they wouldn't get close to that destruction and heartache that they experienced during Isaiah's day. I mean, the Pharisees and groups like them, they they drew lines around the law that if they were to remain clean and keep the law, that they would find freedom. But the deep, deep irony of that deal they made was that while it may have kept certain sins away, it could never, never set them free. And even more tragically, when goodness comes, when life comes to them, they don't let it in. It has to be put to death or it will threaten the whole system. Friends, this is how sin and deception deaden our hope. And Jesus' emergence into this world when he draws near to us, it is always a threat to the muted, the turned off, the deadened parts of our lives. And no amount of management, no amount of sin management, no amount of deals made with our own deceptions can rescue us, can distract us from the reality that we are held captive in the grip of evil that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. So down there, (laughs) when powerlessness meets our capacity to hope, what happens? Some of you know that recently I lost an uncle and a grandfather. And inevitably there are those shared moments where we as a family share stories, memories of things that we will miss about them, memories that that you hold with more detail because they meant something to you. And for me, I remember how um, present my uncle was when I was so little, exploring the world. He was around a lot. It was like having another dad, two dads to have fun with, to guide, to give direction. And it's heartbreaking for me that as those past memories land on me, I'm filled with the pain that my uncles, his grandkids, will miss out on some of that. But he was a really fun guy. And it's right here, right here, in the midst of all the grief, when the world is shifting and it's not the same, or when the darkness of others, or even when my own broken choices have left me alone and bitter and despairing, it is here, down here in the dark, and the death, and the sadness, and the captivity, and the poverty, and the emptiness that Jesus moves closer 
and closer to you and me. It's down there when all hope is lost, when God's servant, when God's agent, who was to bring life to this world, is put down. And in this place, death holds on. It lingers, frustrating us, inviting us to make deals, deals that lead our hearts to say things like, you know, it is what it is, or you need to suck it up, or I'm, I'm not going to risk opening myself up again. Right? These are the words of a heart that has been deadened to hope. And the death of Jesus on Good Friday leads to the uncertainty of Saturday for God's people, full of questions, doubts, uncertainties, and longings. But in God's story, in his story of the world, when Friday and Saturday appear to us to be the end of the road, in God's story, they are just the road that leads to Sunday. Isaiah he knows what Sunday is like. God's servant certainly knows and has always had a vision for what Sunday is and will be in the story of our lives. You want to know what it's like? <laughs> this is what Isaiah says. The brokenhearted, they will be put back together again. Those who are bound up with any kind of captivity, they will be set free. Those who have been brought low with grief, they will find comfort, they will find joy. Those under the boot of injustice, they will behold righteousness. Things will be made right. Those strangers, the rivals, the enemies, they, they will be called friends, ministers of God. God's people, they will look beautiful and radiant and holy like a bride on her wedding day. I mean, these are the bright and powerful words that speak to hearts in darkness lately. Well, the gospel writer Matthew tells us that on Sunday, the Sunday after Good Friday, <laughs> two women, Mary and Mary, they go visit the tomb of Jesus. And the angel comes and with an earthquake and they're, they're overwhelmed, right? And the, uh, the angel, he is bright and beautiful, and he rolls back the stone of the tomb, and his words meet their ears. He is not here. He's risen. The surprise and the joy, the hope springs into them. Death has lost its grip. Darkness has been shown the light that can never be put out. For this is what the gospel offers to us. Yes, to dive deep, to honor pain and sorrow and suffering when things are not going well. When you're struggling in the time of COVID, it's, it's, it is completely good news to weep and to lament, to offer prayers, to offer real honest prayers crafted in struggle, in heartache, in faith, even faith as small as a tiny little seed. And God hears, he gets close. And I know this because he took on flesh, he shared human life with all its pain and complexity, showing us what it is to truly be human, to be whole. And the strange and beautiful news is that when we travel, when we travel the darkness, 
It is the unexpected road that leads us most fully to the surprise and the joy and the life of resurrection and ascension. This unmovable hope has come to us in Jesus Christ to make us right, to set us in mission with God, moving into the dark places of this world by the power of his spirit. And the still good news that comes to us in our waiting is that he will sustain you to the end when he comes again to make all things new. Let's pray. Father, help us to believe that this is true and every part of who we are. Help us to believe that no one, no one has ever seen a God like you who acts for those who wait for him. Be close to us in our waiting in the darker, the harder places of our common life together. Give us faith to see you, to cry out to you, to lament and weep, to embrace the surprise and joy of our good and gracious gifts to us in Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. will say he has done great things the nations will sing songs of joy restore our soul restore We will carry, 
days do not tarry. All those who sow weeping will go out with songs of joy. All those who sow weeping will go out with songs of joy. All those who sow weeping will go out with songs of Receive now God's blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it.